Hi everyone, uh, welcome to Yelai, the place where you get your daily dose of inspiration for entrepreneurship. And today we have with us uh, Mr. Nitin uh, Biswas, uh, who is the co-founder of Ronin Wines, uh, which is India's and Asia's first meadery. And they are bringing back meats the world's oldest alcoholic uh, beverage made from honey. Uh, hi, Nitin. Welcome to ELI. Hi, Priya Rajan. Thank you so much for inviting me for this. I would uh, request you to introduce yourself to our audience. Okay. So my name is Nitin Vishwas. I'm the co-founder of a brand called Moonshine. Uh, we are India's and Asia's first meat brand. We ferment honey to make alcohol. And this alcohol, uh, otherwise known as mead, is the oldest alcohol uh, human civilization has ever seen. Mm. Okay. Uh, I I have uh, I have a degree in mechanical engineering from the National Institute of Engineering, and uh, I also have an MBA from the Indian School of Business, Hyderabad. Okay. Um, and after close to fourteen years of being in corporate, I took the entrepreneurial plunge and started this with a old friend okay so before we start talking about uh, the uh, venture you are building can you tell us uh, a little bit about your early uh, career and how how this sort of you know um, helped you to join the path of entrepreneurship what triggered you or what was your initial experience that uh, made you think that entrepreneurship is something that i can do uh, very honestly, never thought I would ever get into entrepreneurship. That's the honest answer. Uh, so post-engineering, I spent a couple of years, a little over a couple of years with LNT, mm -hmm. uh, uh, as a as an engineer looking after value engineering. And uh, then uh, post a couple of years with them, and I did a short stint in management consulting before I uh, went on to finishing my, doing my MBA at the Indian School of Business. Mm -hmm. uh, Post ISB, again, spent a short stint with an infrastructure company before I joined McKinsey. Mm -hmm. And I was a consultant with McKinsey for four years. And uh, during this time, sort of got a chance to dabble with multiple sectors, multiple companies, multiple roles. Mm -hmm. And truly, honestly, the most uh, sort of all-rounded experience I could ask for. Okay. And it was post uh, McKinsey. Is, I think during McKinsey is when I first read about uh, meets on an in-flight magazine and uh, once I once I sort of uh, read it I found it interesting sent a bunch of pictures of the article to a very old friend somebody I know for over 35 years now mm. uh, saying you know there is this new category of alcohol history meets mystery why don't we try and make this just for fun again there was never a chance plan to turn this into business and uh, it was during around this time that I uh, also moved out of uh, consulting and took on a role with a healthcare company, Abbott. Mm -hmm. And it was this newfound ground, a more, uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't traveling as much. And that gave me a lot more time to sort of work on this idea with my co-founder. And mm -hmm. it reached that point where uh, we started to see friends come back, talk to us about the product. And that little epiphany sort of a moment where we realized that, uh, you know, this thing might just have a business plan surrounding it. Okay. And that was around the time when uh, uh, we went, started talking to Excise, mm. uh, realized there was no law. So put in applications to get a new law created. Uh, mm. Maharashtra being a very progressive state when it comes to wines and beers in particular, wines mm. in particular, actually. 
was more than welcome. It took us a while, but they were very, very progressive in the way they thought and created a new category for fermentation of uh, honey okay. and uh, classified it as a wine. And uh, that's pretty much how the entire journey started. So for us, it was, uh, we started as a hobby and it slowly transitioned into a business idea and we've managed to sort of build it now for over the last, I think, build it for over four years now. This okay. year in our fifth year. Okay. So uh, business side is fine. Uh, one thing I'm curious to understand, how did you build the product? Uh, as in, uh, how did you get the know-how to uh, ferment and uh, create a, uh, let's say, the, the distillery or whatever the equipment? Meadery. Meadery. Okay. Uh, so distillery would be where you distill. Meadery is where you ferment uh, honey. Uh, very different processes. For us, it was, uh, to be honest, we started to, uh, online is, you know, the best sort of trend in such situations so hmm. we used a lot of platforms a lot of uh, forums that you find online to talk about the product and get inputs on how do you make it how do you perfect it uh, we reached that stage where some of our uh, basic trials had reached a point where uh, it had some sort of traction with at least our friends and family uh, but we but we very soon realized that uh, you know from a quality standpoint if you what you see outside being made by professional meat makers mm. was uh, way above the, the sort of on the quality mark as compared to what we were making. And there was this gap that needed to be filled. Now, the early parts of our life when we were dabbling with meat was using books. We, we started to import books because these books weren't available in India. Uh, but it was over the, uh, over the course of, I think, a year, year and a half's experimentation, we realized there may be a need for one of us to sort of go and intern with a couple of meadries, uh, either in Europe or in Asia or in America. Mm. And uh, we wrote to a bunch of American meadries and uh, we literally wrote a line, free Indian labor before for your Christmas okay. requirements. Uh, would you be willing to speak to us and help us? So two meadries wrote back and uh, Rohan was on a flight to US, uh, stayed in the US, couch surfed his way, worked with a couple of meadries there, uh, did everything from cleaning to making a batch. And I think over the course of the next four or five months, four or five weeks that he was there, a lot of little gaps that were there in our mead making process sort of started to put come together. And uh, all these experiences sort of led us to the final product. And obviously a lot of product testing happened in India because uh, meads, this fermented honey-based beverage in abroad is all high alcohol still they, they, they package it like wine and they sell it like wine uh, mm -hmm. but we realized very quickly in india uh, because of our taste palettes and the weather that we live in uh, we needed to do a lot of things differently to cater to the audience here so reducing the alcohol percentage going really strong on the flavor profile where fruits dominated the the, the sort of flavor flavoring that we used and more importantly, the carbonation as a, as a key component to the product, where decisions that were taken through a lot of taste trials that we've done. We've done, I think, over 200 taste trials during the course of sort of finalizing on what product would work in India. So this was a long process of building the product. Uh, yes. Once the product was ready, what were the next steps? How did you create a market because uh, the way I understand people are not aware of uh, such a drink 
and if they are aware of they probably don't have access to you know there is no distribution channel there is no you know awareness also in the market even the wine distributors wine vendors wouldn't know about such a product how did you crack the market or how are you cracking it right now in fact uh, we're still trying to crack it but more okay. importantly i think uh, we realize the problem right nobody has made meads in india in over a thousand years mm. uh, although it is more local to our our geography then or any civilization has actually seen meads it's og alcohol wines and beers followed meads and then distillation started after mm. so uh, so that was the problem statement how do you sort of crack that so i think uh, as an alcohol company we don't have much of a choice when it comes to doing above the line marketing we can't do boardings we can't do online ads we can't do offline ads we can't do print ads so the only sort of uh, way to get the product accepted is to what a lot of alcohol companies called lol right liquid on lips wet sampling is the only way forward and so what we used to do was we would actively participate in uh, little festivals that used to have any events that would happen or which were centered around beer or wine and uh, you know very very elaborately keep the sampling process uh, active in restaurants so you know very very alcohol is a lot simpler it's a, it's got its constraints but therefore because there are so many constraints there are just two three things you got to do the only thing is you got to do it well and uh, the one main thing of those two three things is sampling the more you sample the product the better it the response uh, you have to obviously uh, juxtapose good sampling uh, with a great liquid and great availability uh, so the great liquid got ticked off i think quite early but the problem came with availability because uh, rest a lot of retailers were very scared to keep something that they've never heard of mm. uh, we were lucky to find a bunch of really decent uh, uh, um, distributors who were uh, more than happy to uh, uh, sort of help us with our journey okay. uh, but uh, i think the 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 trick was about convincing the retailers to keep our product and uh, uh, that led to uh, that led to some delays in availability in a lot of small pockets around the city mm -hmm. but i think what worked in our case was uh, massive we, we decided not to spread ourselves too thin mm. so we said you know what let's pick up three micro markets and let's okay. do everything in those three micro markets so we do we do it in a place like let's say if we pick if when you pick bombay we pick pandra we pick lokhandwala and dehri west and we pick bhawai mm. we said we won't go out of the out of this little triangle Okay. and everything was done in this triangle so that our limited resources were better utilized but what this did was this amplified the noise around the brand every tasting event happened here and retailers who were otherwise averse to it started to have customers come to them before and ask for the product and when that happens the is you start building that little trust because i think the most important thing in in in, in is when you're building a consumer brand is building trust with your channel that you know this like this this product won't get stuck you won't lose okay. money okay and by just focusing our attention on a small micro market we amplified noise enough for retailers outside this little micro market also to start asking us for the product and mm -hmm. when they ask for it versus you push them to keep it the 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 your resistance to getting movement is a lot lower and that helps the brand sort of grow so that's been one of the fundamental tenets but obviously all this only works when your liquid is good uh, and we noticed a almost a four in one conversion 
uh, when somebody okay. would try the product, which is uh, which we understand is a pretty good number or a good percentage to have. And uh, that's how the brand has slowly and steadily grown. Obviously, our Instagram is very active. Our Facebook is very active. We 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 are all the time talking to our consumers. Mm. Uh, we we personally manage the account. We don't have an agency between us, so we know what the consumer is asking. And loops get closed very quickly. And okay. all this aids to the customer experience with the brand, mm. and helps sort of generate better recall. Okay. Uh Curious to know about the finances. How I, I think it was a long journey from you know um, ideating to building the product, then to taking it to market and reaching a point where you'll break even. So till that time, somebody needs to incur the expenses. How did you yes. you know build the runway? So for we that? so for that we have taken finances. We've taken we've done a few rounds, but all angel rounds uh, where we have. Uh, we got friends and family. A lot of the folks who came in on our journey were people with whom we have worked with. Uh, those who, because usually at our stage, uh, it's never somebody investing in the product; they're investing in the entrepreneur. Mm. Um, and uh, therefore, a lot of the almost every one of our earlier, uh, our current existing angels are people who have known us, who have seen us work with them in the past, or have known us as friends. Uh, who just believed what we were trying to build had a story and more importantly they liked what they were tasting uh, liquid is also nice so that matters i think that's uh, so we've been we've raised some amount of capital through friends family and uh, uh, some hnis mm. uh, but we will be now in we are we are in the process of sort of working on raising a more serious uh, uh, investment round but when you are the only when you are the first license in the country uh, you don't have the benefit of contract manufacturing to test the product. So what we did was we were very slow in the way we invested the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to set up, we had to invest in our own space, we had to buy our own equipment, capex expenses were all our own. And therefore, when we set up the space, we went with a, with, went with a concept that is uh, not something that is encouraged very well. But now I think in this downturn, it becomes an important criteria is minimal viable product, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't go and set up 10 tanks, fully automated state-of-the-art bottling machine, state-of-the-art labeling machine, state-of-the-art filtration system on day zero. We literally added two tanks. We uh, we, we designed our own bottling machine for a lakh and 20. We hand-insulated our tanks and saved about 60 grams on it. So we've gone completely old-school Jugaad. Uh, the whole idea was how do you get the product out and where is it that you come to a point where investing the next amount of capital won't mean capital getting locked up, but actually capital being used to generate revenue. Because okay. last thing we wanted was five tanks of which only two tanks are being used. The, the plant efficiency was critical, capacity utilization was critical. And so we've gone step by step from two tanks to three tanks to four tanks to five tanks to now nine tanks, mm-hmm. uh, from 1,000 liter tanks to 2,000 to 3,000 and finally 20,000. Uh, all this has been a journey. Uh, uh, and in the middle, we had two COVIDs. So uh, we, we, went, we, we're not an industry that is uh, given the opportunity to sell stuff online. Uh, we are a very, very old school brick and mortar industry. And so we don't have the advantage of, you know, just going on to Amazon and selling alcohol. So mm. therefore we were conscious that any decision taken in terms of investments needs to be thought out. Any scheme put in the market needs to be thought well. And uh, path to profitability literally has driven all our decisions in terms of pricing and uh, marketing. 
and uh, that that has led to a very low burn rate it has also led to some sacrifices in terms of growth but i think on the long run it doesn't matter as much as long as you know you are building a brand which is uh, which has got good recall great customer uh, retention and uh, high customer loyalty i think uh, a little sacrificing a little bit of growth for that and ensuring that there's a path to profitability very clearly laid out matters more and all the more in the current scenario that we are in okay uh, the way i see it, i think uh, one out of four customers who try the product end up buying the product and uh, that says a lot about product market fitment so you are fit for the market um, and uh, now that you are producing 20000 liters and nine uh, uh, nine uh, tanks uh, that you mentioned uh, i think you have reached uh, when you when you define the startup journey there is 0 to 1 1 to 10 and 10 to 100 so i think you are at uh, probably you have crossed that one uh, stage and probably in between 1 to 10 what is the road map forward how do you uh, see your uh, path for next 5 or 10 years uh, timeline so i think we are on the journey of turning into a national brand as of this moment uh we for the first 3 years of our 4 years of existence we did not even venture outside of maharashtra and goa hmm. right and we were very conscious again we needed that product market fit like the way you put it right there's a journey of 1 and then there's a 0 to 1 and 1 to 10 we are still in the journey of 1 to 10 and in that journey only in the last 6 months have we come and opened 6 new markets right we entered karnataka rajasthan himachal uh, silvasa up and assam only recently literally a six month back story mm. uh, so for us what we plan to do is for i think the next one one and a half years markets are going to be tough uh, investments are going to be hard to come by so it's about conserving and utilizing your resources the right way so for now it's about consolidation so that's what we're going to be doing uh, i think the next leg of expansion will happen next year where we start to open there are markets which we haven't touched which we want to touch like hyderabad there is uh, chennai there is kerala and then up north there is uh, there is delhi there is haryana all massive sized markets that we not even come close to right now mm. and most importantly i think we've also recognizing the fact that we are in a white space mm. we are in a white space where and it's a rarity to find these kind of white spaces in a sector like alcohol uh, but and so there is an opportunity to go global with this product and uh, with the brand that we built or rather building and uh, some, that is something that we will again uh, like i said it's all about spacing out your growth uh, but we will start venturing into export markets this year in a small way and uh, after the next round of domestic expansions we might aggressively start chasing the export market as well okay um speaking of indian market uh, i think there is a tendency that uh, in indian market some player will disrupt the market like you were doing and then the next player will seize the opportunity uh, it happened with uh, paytm defined the market and phone pay or bharat pay seizing the opportunity flipkart defined the market and uh, amazon just took it over so uh, what is your strategy for that uh, you are, you are going big and uh, of course your competitors will notice and they'll up Uh, come up with competing products what is your uh, uh, strategy for that 
uh, we want more competition in the market. Let's uh, see again, we are not a digital, uh, we're not a digital or a tech-based company. Uh, and therefore we are cognizant that anybody who comes into this organization is gonna have to take some time to grow. Right? We, we, it is a, it's a distribution game here and uh, we welcome more players in like it's we are not buying for the masses we are uh, we are somewhere in the mass and class we're sort of straddling both worlds and we've therefore a little more expensive than most brands so if Pira Pira and Kingfisher Ultra are all priced at let's say 130 140 in a market we are priced 200 in that market so first and foremost uh, we know we are targeting, uh, 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 we, are, we, are, we are at the slightly more premium scale where we are hoping the consumers start to upgrade. That's, first, that's the first thing, right? So uh, what we do hope is that more players enter this market because it's rather lonely being the only player in this market. I would be happier having just 30% stay, uh, of market share in a 1,000 crore industry in India than having 100% market share in a 10 crore industry in India, right? Uh, so and it's uh, since we are building a new category and this building of new category can only happen through sampling mm. and not through some advertising on television or print uh, we would be very very happy to share that burden and cost with other players who come in because uh, the only hope that we have and that's where our fingers are crossed is that whoever comes in to share that cost and burden of educating a consumer does it with a great liquid because mm. the risk of having somebody come in and do the same in a larger scale with a bad liquid is that the chances of them migrating to our product is lower or even sampling or trying our product is lower. So having said that, it's it's rather heartening to see a uh, lot of new uh, brands coming into the market. It's great to see rather a lot of good brands coming into the market. We have now, from the time we had, we were the only player in the market. We have, I think, we have six players now in the market and another oh. four or five are coming in. So it's great. Nice. It's, 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 it's nice to see that because now there is an opportunity to work together and build uh, a brand new category for meads in India. And uh, I think we're, I'm just hoping for the best actually going forward. I, I would love to see more players coming in. It's, it's always easier. It, everybody makes noise then. Can you tell us what are the biggest challenges that you have faced uh, during your journey of entrepreneurship? The biggest, I think the biggest journey specifically on uh, uh, for uh, the brand that we've seen is we are in a sector, in a new category, in a new sector, in an, in an industry that does not allow ATL advertising of any sort. Uh, and in that kind of a place with relatively limited resources, trying to get the word of mouth out has been arguably the biggest challenge. Uh, and uh, we need to all the time come up with innovative ways of introducing our brand to consumers, right? Mm. Uh, and that has been fundamentally the single biggest uh, effort that we've taken. From, on a more personal, I think, uh, having spent 15 years in corporate, you get 50, 14, 15 years in corporate, you're used to this yeah. uh, salary zone. hitting your account, comfort zone, your salary hitting your, your account. You're also older, so you have a lot more responsibilities. You have kids, I've got two kids. Yes. So you, know, you have to keep balancing uh, your own uh, aspirations and also be very pragmatic of the responsibilities you also have. And balancing that out is critical. And I think that comes with family, right? Your wife, your parents, her parents, your friends, all larger group, uh, you have to keep 
uh, you to get their confidence and you need them to back you up and uh, i've been fortunate to get uh, get a lot of help from them and uh, that has been the biggest challenge and that has also been something that i've been able to work around uh, because of the support uh, i have gotten so yeah so there's a problem with the brand and the personal story as well so yeah they say the biggest addiction is monthly salary uh, yeah, yeah. So, the biggest addiction is monthly salary. I, I can't tell you. I, I the first three months when nothing came, and I realized I need to break an FT to keep the liquidity running. Uh, it's it's sort of just changes the way you look at things. You reallocate your uh, your investments in such a way that you should be able to pull them out whenever you need them. And uh, I think for the first one month, uh, comically, I used to get up like the time I used to leave for my office wear all my clothes including my shoe and then sit on the table and then look at my calendar which is usually blank and say okay now i've got to create my calendar there's no secretary there's nobody sitting and creating so that little that shift took uh, almost a six month period right that complete transition however now once you make the transition i don't think you can ever go back to that yeah. life i mean it's it's very hard to go back to that life. this is this flexibility is something that you start to enjoy and then I think we'll, if you ever go back to that life, you will crave to come back to this. Okay. Speaking of the transition, speaking of the shift, uh, you knew about the hardship, you knew about the entrepreneur's life, uh, but what triggered you to be an entrepreneur? Why not continue in the uh, comfort zone? I think this is something my wife told me, right? If you're anyway giving 18 hours of effort uh, to a to an organization why not give it to yourself i think that and of course a little support and push from her helped but uh, i think it was a combination of that and the fact that you knew you were getting into business with a friend you know for 35 years uh, so there was a decent comfort and the excitement of trying to build something new from scratch uh, uh, and if you if you if if we do turn successful this is going to leave a mark uh, for years to come and that that excitement uh, you know it's essentially what is that one thing that doesn't make you let you sleep in the night and when that becomes your own little dream that you're trying to build for yourself hmm. i think that's the that's the point when you make the switch okay uh you mentioned that uh, uh, in the first few days of entrepreneurship uh, your calendar used to look empty i'm curious to know how does your calendar look like now what is your uh, daily schedule and all oh wow it starts at 8 50 with calendar blocked all the way down to 10 30 and then i have like a two hour where i keep it for myself okay. then second half again it starts getting filled with uh, meetings thankfully now we have teams that are i mean it's for the first eight i think 12 to 18 months we were just three of us in a company mm -hmm. we we started to hire people only after that so till the first three years my calendar remained empty because I could call Rohan whenever I want. Invariably, I was sitting in front of him and trying to get stuff done. Mm. But uh, nowadays, the calendar is again full. I mean, I barely get like probably three, four hours to myself to get stuff done. Otherwise, you're jumping onto meetings one after the other because with new markets, there are new groups who need clarity on an ongoing basis every every week. And so you are now again, it's it's gone back to the corporate days. Only difference is now I fill my calendar up. Uh, I've realized if I don't do that, I will be all over the place because there's no direction otherwise. So hmm. from an absolutely zero calendar, nothing on it has again gone back to being fully full. 
so i keep however i think i make it a point to keep about 4 hours to myself every day okay uh, where and 2 hours in the first half and about 2 hours in the second half uh, which usually is either spent thinking uh, writing some ideas that you have or uh, you know jumping on to your own personal calls calls that you want to do with other founders other people that you want to be networked with mm. because there's a lot of peer learning that happens within the founder community and uh, it's 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 almost a crime if you don't leverage that learning so something that i keep on myself even on a walk i i schedule some calls for my walk so that you constantly talking to people discussing your ideas because the founders journey can be quite lonely if you if you don't do that and uh, it's important to understand that you're going through the same thing that the other person is and uh, it it helps both when you speak hmm. so that's something i consciously keep time every day for that how would you define the term entrepreneur how what is the meaning of entrepreneurship for you who is a entrepreneur wow that's so entrepreneur is anyone who is uh, who has this i might switch to hindi for this one yeah, right yeah, sure. the key to do something new Uh, you could you don't need to have started something of your own but if you have that little kida to do something of your own uh, to do something new you may be working in an organization for that matter mm. and uh, you you have that tick right you want to you've got a strong feeling strong intuition that something will work and if that tick keeps you awake through the night mm. enough for you to muster the courage to go up to whoever is responsible for your work or on a daily basis or for, for that matter your family and say i want to do this because i truly believe it's going to add value to people i think that person who has the tick is an entrepreneur i mean you should be willing to give up a lot to make that one thing success for me that would be an entrepreneur okay uh my final question tell us about the lessons that you have learned so what happens in entrepreneurship you learn a lot of lessons the hard way Uh, so can you tell us about those lessons which we can take away and apply to our ventures and more importantly we don't go through the same hardship that you went through to learn those lessons i think the one and only one very very important lesson build a good strong team and build a team that you can completely depend on build a team that knows more than you don't try you know you as an entrepreneur since you started it you believe you know the problem better than anybody else uh, but what you need to also understand is that people who join you are also giving up their rather more comfortable lives to come and get into the grind and get into the mud with you mm-hmm. and empower them i mean there's a line that we tell every new employee who joins us as as long as your ethical backbone is exactly where we want it and uh, the organization demands it you guys can do anything as and even if it breaks don't worry we'll be able to fix it right as long as you're on the ethically you're on the right path uh, and that is critical because at some point in time you have to start giving up certain responsibilities giving it to your teams empowering them because like i said right it's not just because you you're a founder you're an entrepreneur everybody who joins you especially in the first 2 3 years of your uh, of your sort of journey startup journey is an entrepreneur in by themselves because they have come in sacrificing a much more comfortable life for because they believe in something that a vision that you sort of told them or sold to them right. so it's very important that you empower that team and trust that team fully and 
we've been fortunate to have people who have literally joined us because they felt we were doing something wrong and they were sure they can do a job better than us right mm. and that that uh, that conf- a, a sort of mix of confidence that they come in with and the trust that you got to have in them and that helps you build this really solid team and ensure that there's a concept of obligation to dissent in your team i mean there should be a, this is something i picked up from my consulting days that you could be the junior most in the company and you could be speaking to the senior most in the company mm-hmm. and you have the right to stand up and say that is not okay i don't like it for these reasons and at the end of the day it's group consensus that always wins most of the right. time yeah and in those situations and if the, after the group consensus something fails never go back and say i told you so i told you this won't work i told you so there's there's no place in our organization for that and i believe that is something that again i bring from my consulting days because once it's a group consensus it's everybody's idea now everybody has to work doubly hard to ensure that works and if it doesn't don't go back to i told you so just take a step back do a post mortem understand what went wrong and as a group decide you will not make that mistake again i think these two things are very very critical especially for the first 2 3 years of an organization uh because you will make mistakes you will pivot you will change the course of what you were doing you will slow down you might accelerate there are tons of there are tons of good and bad things that happen and the last thing you want to do is uh, start blaming people for it uh, i think it's about how quickly can you dust dust yourself off and stand up and start running and for that you need a strong team around you who believes in the same ideals that you do and you give them the freedom to make changes make make help you make pivots right so it's empower the team create a solid team i mean once you have a solid team everything else starts to fall in place yeah i think that is uh, one of the key takeaways uh, from the session uh, do not say i told you so uh, don't on, say i told you sir on this note uh, i would close the session uh, thanks for your time and it was a absolute pleasure to host you on this platform thanks thanks priya rajan thank you